Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fissette. On this episode, we get to meet Kevin Drew. Kevin Drew is almost certainly best known as the sort of leading force captain at the helm of Canadian indie rock superstars, Broken Social Scene. In this chat, we talk about Kevin's new solo record, Aging. We talk about how these very intensely personal songs came to be, including what led him to making it pretty much a full piano-based record, which is something that we had not really previously associated with Kevin's or Broken Social Scene's music very much. We do get into Broken Social Scene, especially since they recently celebrated the 20th anniversary of their landmark album, You Forgot It in People. We talk about what touring that record now means to him, what the record in general and those songs mean to him now, and how he feels looking back on that time in his life. We also touch upon the music industry at large, the current state of social scene, and of course, the glory of Emily Haynes and anthems for a 17-year-old girl. I really appreciated how open and candid Kevin was, and if you've ever been a fan of his work or Broken Social Scene's work, or even are just a general indie rock fan, or know even just one song by them, I think you'll enjoy this talk. So thank you for listening. This is me meeting Kevin Drew. I said to my partner when we were driving, I was like, something must be wrong. This is <laughs> 21. Yeah, I'm sure no. he's not coming out of retirement for me. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, Liz, Lizzie's episode just went up, so. Oh, great. Yeah. And where are you from? I'm in Connecticut. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are you up in Toronto right now? I am uh, I live a couple hours outside of Toronto. I, okay. I, I left. I you left. Leave. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a common theme on this show. A lot of people I talk to who are known for being part of like a city's scene, they're like, "Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in this city anymore." I'm still, I'm still there a lot. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I needed to have a place to get away from that. The Toronto has changed, uh, rap, like just drastically mm-hmm. since um, I was coming up there. So. Yeah, it's tough for the oldies because we can start saying, you know what, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, all right. So thank you for hanging out for a little bit. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to chat for a little while. Um, you're we hear mostly we should say right up at the top. We hear mostly uh, on the occasion, the impending occasion of your new solo record called Aging, which is out, speaking of oldies, which is out um, November 3rd, although I had not realized that it has already come out physically. We experimented with trying to put it out physically first. Yeah. Um, we were thinking of mom and pop shops. We were thinking of record stores, just that idea that over the pandemic, there was a drastic wait for vinyl. So we had the option since this record had been done for quite some time to put it out first and just see what the reaction would be, if it would have any reaction, if it had any sense of selling to it and and sell it off the website. I made a book as well that it was attached to it to encourage uh, analog sales. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not sure where we're at, if it worked or it didn't, but the thing with streaming is, is that, 
it's a pretty wild world where you can suddenly do something. You can do something exactly for streaming. I mean, I have we have so much music that we can work with all the streamers with different remixes if if they want. Yeah, uh, and then put some different stuff out in record stores. I really believe that everything can be embraced. I'm just not sure if people are into it. Let alone the record stores and the streamers. I, I'll find out after. But also, you know, I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm a middle-class musician, so I think for that to have a pretty serious impact, it would have to be someone in the upper-class zone who's kind of like making a distinct difference in the idea of like, look, I'm going to put records out in record shops so that record store owners have a chance of selling. And then in streaming, I'm going to do, you know, 12 different remixes. And It's pretty wild how you can do so much, but I'm not sure. Uh, and I'm sure there's bands that are doing that, but uh, I don't know if this really resonated or not. Well, the uh, digital version, anyway, comes out uh, November 3rd on Arts and Crafts, a uh, long-time label. Um, so you've been sitting on this record for a while, then, you said? I made it back in October 2021, 20, okay. and then um, I put it away. And I made it because I wanted to make it. I was going in to do this children's record, and by that I mean I've always been circling around making a children's record with certain people in my life that... We've constantly had conversations about doing it. And just, of course, with everything that we do in life, things get put aside and put on the shelves. So because there was time and because we were shut down so much in Toronto, I just sort of went, you know what? I'm going to go up to a home that I love dearly called the Bathhouse Studios and a gentleman that I work with now, Spencer, who I've worked with for a decade now. And I just said, to him, hey, man, I'm going to try to do some children's songs and we'll get guests to come on them and social scene i'm always trying to find work for social scenes like we can get them to be the backing band but why don't we why don't why don't we just get together and i can come up with stuff on the fly uh and then within that the story goes that i sort of pen this tune don't be afraid of the dark and when i put it down i i'm always doing this in the idea of community and, and gathering great names and wanting uh i wanted uh someone to sing that song that wasn't going to be myself by any means. And of course I wanted a woman, a mother, a grandmother of some sort, some sort of uh, aspect of the tone of femininity and mm-hmm. not put my voice through an auto tune. And after I heard that, I sort of said to him, I have a few other songs that are kind of not children's songs, but I'd love it if I could put them down. And then a couple of weeks later we were done. Hmm. So it came, it kind of came together pretty quickly then in the end. It did because it was just it was just myself and Niles, and um, also some of these songs were already written, right. and one of them was already recorded. And it just sort of happened that you've got to move quickly, especially financially. In, at these times, you just got to like, look. We don't have, uh, I don't consider it a luxury. We just don't have time to find anything. You just have to react and move very quickly and. I right. think as I get older, that's just the only way I like to make art. Now. Right. Uh, to do, do you need me to put my headphones in, my friend? I'm sorry, I'll do that. It will sound oh. better. Okay. <laughs> it's suddenly the sound's going to change. Oh, let's see. He has them in. Here I am. Is that a little better for you? Oh, that is actually a little better. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. No, it's I fine. It can... actually, it actually was okay, but this is better. Okay. Well, yeah. let's, let's do this. Let's All do right. this. Um, so would you consider, uh, I was, I was kind of going back and forth with this in my notes. Would you consider this your third or fourth solo record? Cause I wasn't sure where influences sits. You know, I want to do more KDAP. That was a, I wanted to try a new 
um, uh, musical personality. Mm. So I consider this my third solo record because it's me singing. KDAP was just, I think it's my favorite record I've ever made. <laughs> and I, I hope to, uh, I hope to keep it going, but it, it's quite intensive because I write all these jams on my phone and then I mm. take them in the studio, arrange them and get real musicians coming in. And oh, okay. that takes, that takes time. But, uh, I definitely, definitely wanted, uh, more from KDAP. I wanted more people to hear it, more people to love it, more people <laughs> to take it into their lives, but it, it, it landed where it landed. So I, I know to continue with that, I hope to just start getting into soundtrack work and, maybe some remixes, but, uh, with everything that's been happening lately, you just sort of go with what is in front of you and it yeah. appears in front of you in terms of the opportunity world. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with aging, uh, I'm curious because this is mostly these eight songs, um, are built upon piano, which mm. is not an instrument that we necessarily hear you on too, too often. Um, you know, the, 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 the big obvious, uh, exception to that is, is lever spit, but that was 21 years ago. Um, so what led to, <laughs> what led to that decision though, to like have eight piano songs? Cause it's not necessarily the setting we usually find you in. Uh, thanks for that. That, I mean, darlings, I wrote on piano and I, I found myself covering it in, a lot of familiar mm -hmm. melodies and music and obviously working with uh, Dean Stone on drums, Ohad Benchatrit and Charles Spearin, who I call River and Canoe. And Dave Hamlin was, was all over that album and just getting guests in. It always becomes uh, a family affair. And I've only ever surrounded myself with extremely gifted and talented people in the music world. So I think there was always talk of a piano. People, would, my parents' friends would lean into me. When are you going to do a piano album? <laughs> and and uh, this gentleman in my office, Cameron Reed at Arts and Crafts, he was just like, Kev, you got to do a, just a piano record. So this was as close as I could get to a solo piano album. Um, it's just too much fun to add a lot of stuff sometimes. <laughs> it's just too much fun. It's too, there's too hey, much I melody out there. <laughs> so I wanted it just to be piano, but while I was sitting there with Niles, I mean, he, we would record just hi-hats sometimes. And then we would say like, why don't we get me walking in rhythm to, it's just, sometimes you do these things to remind yourself of what having fun within creativity is about. And though the subject matter of what I was singing about seems so daunting and i've sort of lost myself in conversations about it at times it was so much fun hmm. it was so much fun to to create ambient loops and play piano and just do little little shaker tracks here and there and turn them up loud and and to be in that environment and to be with niley and there's nothing not that people stop you but everybody hears a melody who's a musician and everybody has an idea there's no, you know, there's only so many chords and everyone's like, Oh, I got an idea. It's like, well, no shit. You got an idea. It's G, C and F. It's very easy to have an idea over that because neurologically we've grown up listening to all these other people's ideas over top of those chords. Mm -hmm. So when you sort of free your space and you're just there on your own, it's pretty wild and it's tons of fun. Yeah. And is it, is it you, it's you playing the piano on this record? Uh, yes, except thank you for asking that. We got back in 2014, we recorded out in fields and okay. uh oh, wow. liam o'neill from the stills and he's now in uh, kings of leon extremely wow. talented works with metric 
just a force. And uh, I said to him, Hey, do you want to play on this? Do you want to play this line? And he learned it and he played it on three different pianos. Uh, and, and I can't play that live. I can't sit down, play the piano and sing at the same time. My dyslexia can't get me to right, achieve right. that accomplishment. <laughs> so, 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 when, so I noticed when, when broken social scene played that song though, recently, so who, who's playing the piano part? Brendan Cannon. Okay. okay. I, they were very lovely in terms <laughs> of this, this tour was booked. My record was coming out and, uh, my mother passed away in July. So oh, this sorry. record was, thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. Have you lost a parent? I would like I to say sorry. I have not yet, but yeah. Well, I, I wish you all the best times with them. Um, thank you. They, uh, the band, my mom was very close with them. Uh, this record, though, I'm singing about her being sick. As you said, it was a couple of years ago. I never, when once we planned this all out last year of it coming out in August and in November, we pretty much in November, excuse me, of 2022, we we knew how this thing was going to come out and roll out. And um, yeah, she died a, a month before we dropped out in the field. So it in a way became this song for my mom. And mm. on stage with the band, they were very gracious in learning it. And it was pretty wild to see the form that it took as we slowly started rolling it out at shows and yeah and uh i mean so many there's 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 parental loss throughout that band throughout social scenes so at yeah. first i was speaking about my mom and then eventually i realized you know what everyone up here is lost not everyone but most of these members are going through either loss or sickness or something so we just started playing this song just for everybody yeah. and um, it took on a really beautiful meaning and also it changed every night it was it was pretty it was it was really fun let's just say that it was fun yeah. to play and rewarding to have these guys get behind it yeah that must have been a lovely little surprise that it kind of coalesced into this new thing yeah there was there was when when we had justin pair off on tour for us for two weeks and he can only do two weeks he he he's uh been struggling with touring for the last couple of years and we've given him nothing but space to figure out how he wants to do that so we've also had lowell campbell come out from um winter sleep and he's out with billy talent right now and he's just a force he's a producer he's a drummer he's a songwriter he's incredible but when we were doing out in the fields with him I, at some points i was kind of like oh we're 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 slamming this <laughs> this ballad it became very uh there was a lot of symbols and it was amazing there was an urgency to it that was different from anything i would have thought yeah and I'm not precious anymore because I'm 47 and I'm just kind of grateful to be here. So usually if you're going to try something out, if I've been around you for this many years, it's going to sound great. Mm. And you, if your ego's in the way of how you think a song should be presented, chances are if you were to hear what happened a couple of weeks later, you would have said, oh, that, that sounded great. In the moment, right. you might be like, what the hell are you playing? But they're just playing something from their heart. So you got to just let it be. Yeah. The reason I ask about the piano, uh, because I wanted to find out who played on on the record, if it was you, in fact, because it is it's really lovely. It sounds really pretty. It sounds really beautiful, the piano. Um, and it's just like I said, it's not a sound that we hear from you all the time. So it was sort of a nice change, I suppose, to hear, well, you know, some you. Kevin Drew songs over piano. I, I found uh, I was listening to it just now on my way home, which, by the way, it's like 
pouring out it was perfect it's like perfect driving in the rain weather uh music uh but uh awful lightning was just like so beautiful so i i do appreciate and i and i'm I'm excited for people to hear it thank you i i i know that piano well i wrote a lot of piano songs with with gore downey on secret path he would come over to my house and then um we dove into it extreme full on when we did his record introduce yourself Hmm. so i knew that piano well i had been blessed by that grand piano that's from bathhouse i have a relationship with it um and i'm really happy that gord also put me on the piano because i it just i he really liked the the style that i played in so it encouraged me to stay in that world and right. uh, i felt there was enough time you know it's been about 6 years since we put out introduce yourself so it was nice to sort of be back on the piano again because that's kind of where I lived with him. And Mm -hmm. I did a record with Andy Kim where I wrote on piano. As I said, I did Darling. So I I sort of, I've always been sitting beside a piano and I took (laughs) these piano lessons when I was a kid as well. It's just very, very uncoordinated, but (laughs) somehow the simplicity of it has stayed with me to, to this day. So how do you, I mean, maybe this is a, silly question but how do you know when you're composing or writing a song that it's just a kevin drew song and not going to end up being a broken social scene song or another project don't, or do you or know. do you not know i don't i yeah. i tried to get the guys to do out in the fields when we were doing hug of thunder mm. and i had a bunch of other songs and they they picked a song called boyfriends and a song called skyline so with social scene, you you try to do stuff off the cuff, but you also make sure you have something in case they're like, where's your Kevy vibe? Or where's the Andrew Charlie vibe? Right. Canning, always looking for, for great songs. Um, so I don't know. Th- these were sitting, Brendan Canning and I have sat and looked at our voice memos and compared how many we have. And he <laughs> taught me by a, by a long shot. I think he's a, you know, in the, I'm in the 300s and he's somewhere in the 600s with how many piano little riffs that we have and songs that he's put down. And it's hard to, because of the, the, just the extreme talent of everyone in social scene. Uh, and we make records now every seven years, it's, it's difficult to come in with songs. So I think it's just, if you're in the moment and you do have some music, as I told you before, Jeremy, I wasn't really, looking to do anything except fill my time. Right. I was quite, it wasn't a, the greatest time in October, 2021. It just was not for me, but I'm, yeah. I am one of many that I'm sure at that exact time, it was not a great time. And I was able to have this opportunity to go and be beside the record button, which is one of my favorite places to, to be my, one of my favorite things to sit next to. And, uh, I just guess we're we do sort of fall into that realm of the the Grateful Dead where I'm hoping that we're always going to be playing stuff from from Charlie's records and Andrew's records and Brendan's records and and my records and and if Leslie comes and Feisty's records and Amy comes and some Stars record Amy mm-hmm. solo I I hope that when we're in our 50s we're playing 3 hour shows and we're outside of the social scene realm and going into what just suddenly becomes 
just fun shows to put on of what we've done over our careers because everything to me sounds like social scene whenever we play it because mm-hmm. it's just the players who are playing it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so before we move on, I did want to ask about the title itself, um, mm-hmm. Aging, which obviously we know what aging means, but it's a very bold sort of direct title. Um, why did that feel like the fitting name for these eight songs i think my mom i think uh it just sort of i think it was a couple weeks later or a month later until now i can't remember but it was in the 2021 era and i was sort of like i think we should call it aging um because you continue onward and yeah the funniest part the funniest part about continuing is you have to yeah you don't, you don't have a choice and you can't control the continuation. Um, and I've really, I've really enjoyed myself and I've enjoyed myself when it, I've not enjoyed myself when I've been flat or depressed in my forties, it's a lot different than your thirties. There's a different edge to it. And, um, I think it was just my mother and watching my mother slowly just disappear into her mind and into her body shutting down that I wanted to not make it a sad celebration. And as I said, when I made this record, she was very much alive and I did Mm -hmm. not have any anticipation of her dying in July. I thought we were going to be dealing with, um, and, and loving my mom for, for a while longer. So I'm grateful I called it aging and I'm grateful in the aspect that I do believe it's a positive thing. I know it's difficult and I know there's uh, so much that comes with it, but uh, it just seemed appropriate to the, to the feeling of what was going down. Yeah. Just felt when you came up with that, just felt right. It seems. It did. My, now, I, you know, I, I said to somebody, it's about death and, and a good moisturizer. <laughs> so that's really what it is and um i've presented it as a little I, i'm not a sad person right and when i made this record i was like it's too many ballads i put on the shelf because i just thought i can't live my high five life you know and that's high five not high life there's a difference high five <laughs> and like i high five everybody all over the world and i'm always that guy and what was really funny was and it was funny. I was I was crumbling, but in denial about it near the end there. And this last year, my uh, hey everybody, I'm smiling in here and all that. It was starting to show its rust, and it was starting to show its uh, the holes in the system that I built for myself through the denial of trying to make sure that everyone knew I was okay. But I think we're all human in that aspect where we do that to a certain extent. Yeah, and you and and it does get poured into the music. I see so many vulnerable vulnerable human beings who I love only start to live inside their music, and then when they come out of it, they have to go through this robotic bullshit to exist in a "Hey, how's it going? How you doing?" world, and it's tough to watch, and it's also tough to to execute. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, talk about something different. Uh, so <laughs> you, uh, I appreciate your candor, by the way. I do. Um, I like conversations. You got where... me at the end of the day. I don't do the end of the day. 
Oh, I didn't do it on and purpose, just, but <laughs> no, I thought maybe you couldn't do it to the end of the day. I always tell everyone, can you get me in the morning? But oh, I'm a, I'm a high school English teacher. So that's why I couldn't do morning. Wonderful. Okay. Well, that's, that's great. There you go. What grade? <laughs> what grade? Uh, 11th and 12th. Those are good grades. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The kids are out of nine and 10 and they're kind of into it and want to learn now and, and get this yeah. thing done and get out there. Yeah. That's the hope anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so I do appreciate your candor and, and you know, I appreciate the the openness. It's 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 my favorite when my guests can speak with candor. I mean, I think that's important with this kind of thing. So I appreciate that. Um, so you mentioned, we mentioned that you guys had been playing out in the fields live, but we also should mention that that was on a tour celebrating You Forgot It in People. Um, mm. It was a 20th anniversary tour, even though I think... Like I said, I, an extent, extension. I believe it was called the extended 20 okay. anniversary tour. Right. Cause last year was the 20th anniversary, which is a big milestone. Mm-hmm. I mean, not mm-hmm. every band releases a record, let alone one that gets as warmly received and as, as held dearly too, as you forgot it in people is, and then is still, you know, operating 20 years later and still performing it 20 years later. So that's, I think that's quite an impressive feat. Um, what is it? you know, between this tour and the one from last year celebrating these old songs, uh, what is it like for you singing so many of those songs together in one set so many years on? Uh, I personally love it. I don't have any insecurity about looking back because mm. I do believe it helps you move forward. And you do need to rewire yourself ne- neurologically. That's something I've learned in life. Like, I see people saying, why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And I'm just honoring songs that people love. I'm just a vessel to say, okay, let's do this. And for me, I really enjoy, because I have had a bunch of loss in my life uh, and friends who aren't here, I just really enjoy the fact that these songs have stand the test of time and that people really want to hear them who come to the shows. And I'm just there doing my job and honoring what a lot of us, a lot of us helped happen. And that's outside of the band as well. Mm -hmm. That's through friendships and marriages and, and promoters and publicists and record labels. There was a huge, you know, it takes a village that was broken social scene. And, um, we, we did this last tour and we were playing small markets and we were playing half filled rooms. And then we were playing sold out rooms and you get to these half filled rooms and you think, why are we doing this? The promoter might lose money. Which I, and then the people come to the show, and next thing you know, it's like you're playing for thousands, and it's mm-hmm. New Year's Eve, and you realize, <laughs> you know what? You ha- we don't tour as much as we used to. Obviously, the pandemic then came in and stopped all that, and I, we can't even get to Europe and, and UK anymore because we're just going to lose money. And my father's our business manager, and he refuses. And I look at all the bands going up, and I try to track their finances. And <laughs> It's all under wraps and quiet, but they're never they're, there's a lot that's not coming out with a profit, but I understand they have records and they need to work it, but we don't have that right now. We don't right. have a record. Right. We're celebrating. So in that celebration, because we're such a big band and because we are a middle class band and we are that band that has no lights, has no we what what the show is, the show is the songs more than the people now which is really cool for me. I really like that because 
I like the fact that you don't have to rely on people showing up anymore. You just have to make sure you're playing the song to the best of your ability. And I say mm-hmm. that in the idea that I would love it if anything happened to me for this band to go out and play these songs, find a wonderful, charming singer to emulate my incredible Kermit the Frog slash beautiful Bono voice <laughs> and, 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 and take over. So I look at these things, obviously you don't get paid to play. It's that classic quote, you get paid to travel. It's hard. Uh, but you have the best job ever when you're on stage and you think about all those who can't do that. And you think about all those who have their infinity pools and you wonder, you're always placing yourself in, well, why don't I have this? And someone's always asking why they don't have what you have. And you're asking why you don't have what someone else has. And at the end of the day, you just have to know what you have. And if you have what you love, then all the other shit just falls into place and you accept the fact that maybe you're having to grill cheese when someone else is having filet mignon. And it's just kind of the way of the world. Just the way it the, is. So the airplane tells me everything. Who's up front and who's out back. And sometimes you just want to be out back because that's where the people are. And, and then occasionally your back hurts. You get to go up front and lie <laughs> down. And it's nice. But you can't live your life within the class system if you have a passion for something. Right, because you just end up having a passion for whatever whatever it is. And Jeremy, I was in the theater for a little bit. I did a play just just for this one year. I was in and out watching workshops, and then we um, we put it on for three weeks. And I had written it, and this wonderful theater company put it on. And these actors came, and I remember when we got our first check, it was nine hundred and fifty bucks, and I thought that was a day. So I was like, "Well, what? A, this is amazing! Nine hundred fifty bucks a day. I love this. This is great." And the actors who were in the play turned to me and said, no, this is 950 bucks a week. Mm. And I looked at them and I just said, thank you for doing this. And then I realized they're doing something they loved. Right. They were doing something they loved and they were going to make ends meet and make things work so that they could do, they could perform in plays because it was their passion. And yeah. it's sort of the same thing when you get out on the road. You got to accept what it is you're doing. I like to be smart about it because there's so many of us and so many kids and families and you want to be profitable and you want to be able to, to rise above the expense train. But um, if you don't remain grateful about everything you have, it is true. Suddenly you're talking a bunch of bullshit online about people and then you realize, oh, wait a second, what happened to me? <laughs> it's true though. I mean... You guys have a ton of people that you need to go with and gear and instruments and families that may have to come or at least, you know, plans be made. And yeah, it's it's a complex machine. So I would think going abroad would be just adding a layer of difficulty to it all. But just now, because everything's so expensive, it's just yeah. now. It's yeah. because of the expense. Everything's expensive. Our rates haven't changed and everything has come up. Right. You know the deal. And we're not yeah. going to bust into what it's like being a musician in today's day and age. <laughs> Because we know what it's like and everyone's accepted what it's like and everyone's allowed for it to be what it's like. And everyone who's pushing for what it's like is also saying, well, this is just how it is. And when you're in this music industry, whether it's Canadian, American, European, UK, Australia, Japan, it's, this is how it is. And that's what you get every time. Mm -hmm. And you can buy into it or you can say, fuck that. It's up to you. But either way, you have to accept the realms of what you're in. And if you want to fight it, you then have to accept the consequences of what your fight is going to execute. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, I've I had uh, I had Torque on the show um, a few oh, months well, back. I mean, hello, and am yeah, I talking we, about yeah, Torque? Am I talking about Torque? <laughs> no, he he talked a lot about that. <laughs> well, yeah, Torque. Go ahead. I was just gonna say. say, he, he, say he, I was gonna say he has a lot to say about yeah that kind of thing. He does, and sometimes, honestly, he says too much about it. But that's because <laughs> Torque Wells always been an extremely passionate, living by the life and death of his own art, for sure. And that's what I love the most about him. So if I was to say to him, "Hey, don't be who you are," it would be a <laughs> disservice to the the love I have for him. As now he's done and said some things where I've said to him, for fuck's sakes, Torky, <laughs> you are affecting other people's lives in your band. You are affecting other people's lives, but the urgency to how he lives and breathes, he can't help it. And yeah. he apologizes. And then he doesn't, it's just, it's based on whatever situation he's put himself in. But I've always said to myself, I would never, govern the soul of someone like Torquil Campbell because we need him. Hmm. We need Torque. We need his sometimes erratic reactions and behavior because I can tell you honestly, knowing him for this many years, it all comes from a place of love. Even mm -hmm. sometimes the vile tone of, whoa, what was that? That's him getting swept up in it all. And it's still... Though you can't explain this to people because as I've said to you before, we're neurologically set on a pattern where we know how to receive information through how we've historically been taught. Mm -hmm. Torquil comes from a place of love and Absolutely. I'll fight for him until I die. But trust me, there's been some times where I've been like, Torque, <laughs> please, for Christ's sake, help us out. But yeah, it's, why am I going to censor his heartbeats? Mm. He, he fights for those. He fights for the underdogs because he is an underdog and he comes from a family of theater. So that exact, <laughs> exact story I was telling you about, right. Uh, in terms of people living their lives for their passion. It's that's, uh, that's Mr. Torquil Campbell. So yeah, I, uh, I, I'm grateful he's in my life, and um, I know he's had a presence on Twitter that sometimes people call me up and say, what the hell is – and I just say to them, you know what? That's him. You got to let – you got to let – you got to let him fly. <laughs> he'll – he'll you know, his niece – he'll take care of his own knee scrapes. He'll lick his own wounds, and he always picks himself up. So Yeah, he's a big boy. <laughs> I, he is, and I respect that. Yeah, it was it was fun getting into it with him, but you're – yeah, you're absolutely right. He's just a very passionate. I can't do that conversation. Individual. I can't do that conversation because hey, I have a label. All right. <laughs> and I can't do that conversation because I also don't feel like it does any good for right. myself. It right. just doesn't. I'm here to try to get into bedrooms and I'm here. I'm I'm a social worker of music. That's what I'm here to do. And I know so many people in the industry, and I know so many people that have made decisions that work against art. And everyone is trying for the same goal of trying to get music into the homes. Mm -hmm. So I did, I did, you know, dip my feet into the water of, wait a second, what's going on? But that's not up for me. 
it's not up for me. It's not up to me. Excuse me. That you know, the, the, the government's going to have to come in. There's going to have to be some laws. There's going to have to be some serious changes to music. Look what's happening in the acting world. We don't have a union. They do. Let's see what happens there. Yeah. But we have a very corporate structure, and people don't like it when I talk about this. But there's a capitalistic way of how music is unveiling itself right now. It's done it before. It's fallen apart. It's built itself back up stronger. It will fall apart again. Mm-hmm. It's just the nature of the circle of how it works. Yep. And then it will come back probably even stronger. And yep. that's when all the robots will be rocking out like the <laughs> animatronics at Chuck E. Cheese. There you go. But if they're singing Lover Spit, I'm all for it. Yeah. You'll get that royalty check. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I'm I just know. kidding. But, you know, kind of funnily speaking of that, I, I had a question to ask about You Forgot It in People because that is one of those records mm. that, you know, 20 years on, is still sort of one of those lasting albums in people's lives. I mean, does that ever surprise you? Does that, or does it, did it ever surprise you that that album has had and has such an impact on people still? Yeah, I would hope that it would surprise me because that yeah. keeps you in the realm of being grateful for it. And mm. uh, I did my cocky years. They were fun, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy people are still listening to it. And yeah, it's it's nice to see a young audience out when you're going and playing. And it's they're very, very kind human beings that come to our shows. And anytime I have any interaction with anyone who is into the band, it's always there's always a lot of kindness around it. Mm. And it's obviously for me, I I'm I'm one of 16, 17 that made that album. Right. That's a record that falls on a lot of David Newfell's shoulders and Feist's shoulders and Emily's shoulders and Jimmy's shoulders and Evan. And, you know, the, the list goes on. Brendan, Charlie, Justin, Justin Paraf, our drummer, who I think is musically the most influential thing that came from our band in terms of influencing other bands. It's definitely in the drums. So I feel uh, like I am just this, this host of that memory for people right and i'm completely cool with it uh i appreciate it and um as you know i'm 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 constantly making new work and i have no problem when i go to talk about aging if i end up talking about you forgotten people as we're doing right now i know but i I want you to know (laughs) well it just doesn't it's because i'll get off this interview jeremy and then i go and I make dinner and I sit with my partner who's lovely and we talk and I take a bath and I'm very happy that I'm able to have this luxury in my life and this privilege in my life when all that's going on Mm -hmm. with everything that's happening out there. You Mm -hmm. need to remember that, uh, and especially as you get older, you need to just remember, like, as I said, when you lose friends and people die and then you look out to the world and you see how evil is just becoming the mascot for who we are, you've got to just have these moments. And I have no, you want to talk about art. You want to talk about an art that I've been involved in. I'm all for it. And I'll, I'll take these, all these human beings that made you forgotten people. And I'll talk about them till the day I die. Even when I feel, when I feel closer to the songs than I do to them. And I, that's kind of how I feel right now. Yeah. Don't feel super close to everybody in that band. But I feel very, very close to the songs from the era that we made it in, and and uh, I there's you know I play anthems for a 17 year old girl every night. It's a song that has come back and has 
suddenly had such a presence in this last year. And I think I see 3% songwriting on that for messing around with the vocals with Charlie Spearn, who probably sees the same percentage. And I play that every night. Yeah. I, I never question anything about the song, except I'm so grateful it's in my life. It happened in my basement. Such talented people wrote it. Emily penned some stunning lyrics. It feels like one of the greatest songs Metric wrote with another band. And I'm cool with with uh, playing it for the rest of my life, even though I, I really didn't have much to do with it. It doesn't <laughs> bother me at all. I, I think it's such a stunning song in our catalog. And, and, and that's the beauty of this band. You, you get to take ownership and then you get to take a seat and watch. So it, because it's not a solo artist thing, you're not surrounded by yes people because it's not something that's so successful that you lose yourself in the aspects of having to constantly get online and say, Hey, uh, why don't, you know, all these friends of mine have become comedians or they're marketing themselves. And I hate it. I hate it. It grosses me out. I, I feel for them. I'm like, why are you doing that? But they're doing that because this is the medium and what they're being told to do. Mm-hmm. And some of them do it well and others you can see they're in pain doing it. And others show their true colors where they're suddenly talking about some serious political issues and serious issues that have to do with like the destruction of humanity. And then a few hours later, they're pushing a t-shirt in their album. I have a, I, I just, I did not know we were going to emulate ourselves into that world. Mm. And it hurts to watch people do that. Yeah. But then you ask yourself, what is that of an entertainer? And what is that of a politician? Right. I spoke in Portland about their homeless situation People cheered and people booed. Everywhere you go, there's going to be a division. Yeah. Everywhere. So I'm just trying to stay on the straight and narrow, avoid the bullshit, especially because the bullshit loves attention. Mm -hmm. Know my truth and put it in the music. And that's where you're going to hear what I think about everything. And that's what I think the job of most artists is. But of course, we've lost that in the microphone of now because everybody has to sell and market themselves. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's different. It's definitely different than it than it's been. But as you say, it is kind of a cyclical thing. So who knows what the next phase is really going to oh, be. Oh, I'm, like. I'm the the one thing that gets me out of bed sometimes is the idea of social media burning down. Right. And it's coming. <laughs> you can sense it because oh, it's yeah, just no. get, it's getting a little too out of hand. Yeah, for sure. And the powers that be are slowly going to wear down the ones who are so excited that they have a, the narcissists who are so mm-hmm. just like, I, 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 this is my work. I got to do this for my work. It's my, and that whole argument that this is how you can be heard slowly. I hope that some of these people see that the ones who are running these companies that are giving them a platform are actually some of the most evil out there. <laughs> you never know. You never, know. you never know. People can amaze you. They can, don't you That's think? That's true. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Until then, I just think try to use everything you have for good. Just try to... That's a, people that's are, a good motto. People feel bullied. They feel duped. They feel cheated. They're angry. And a lot of people, it didn't happen for them, and they're pissed. Mm-hmm. And that is some of the most understandable feelings out there. Yeah. But when they turn on each other and they eat each other within that, 
that's what I hope stops. Yeah. Because I do believe people should raise their voices and people should stick up their hands and people should say, this is disgusting. Right. You know, my, my whole thing is you, you want to change the world, get men out of power. Hmm. Why don't we just say no more men in power? <laughs> that's it. Put no that more on men. a t-shirt. Yeah, no more men. Jim O'Rourke had a wonderful song, Women of the World Take Over, because if you don't, the world's going to come to an end and it won't be long. There you go. So why don't we just, why don't we just try it? Hey, we've never tried it. We've never tried it. Let's just (laughs) full on do, let's, you know. See what happens. Spice Girls, Girl Power. Let's rock this. Let's let's see what happens. Because all these people complaining about men, it's like, uh, I grew up, I I listened to Ani DeFranco. I listened to PJ Harvey. Like, hell yeah. This was, this is, we've been complaining about men from the dawn of time. Why don't we just remove them and then see what happens? Sure. No, I mean, like I said, we've never tried it. So it's worth a shot, isn't it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, sure. Now more than ever. Oh, yes. I would agree with that. Um, all right. We're going to play a quick little game here before we sign off. Okay. Um, do you know what Setlist FM is? Yeah, that's where they print your set lists? Yeah, it's where like shows really, you've done. really nerdy music fans go to shows and then go online and log all the songs that they played. Um I How have. come they're nerdy, Jared? I mean, I've done it too. I'm not... <laughs> just Why like... do we have to bring nerds into the factor? <laughs> so, I'm sure uh, they're just music lovers. They're devout music lovers, yes. Yeah. Okay, um, so uh, I've played this once before with Christian Matson, the tallest man on earth. Um, okay. And he did pretty well. So basically, I've looked up what, according to Setlist FM, are the top five most played songs by broken social scene and i'm wondering oh. if you can name them i don't think they're that hard to be honest okay no 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 i'll try it uh, charles is the one that is always whispering in my ear because i wouldn't play sweetest kill every night and you say the algorithms we have to play <laughs> sweetest kill every night he, he he studies what gets played but i'll give it a shot so the top five top five we'll say top five okay all right, I'll say anthems for a seventeen-year-old girl. We're doing social scene, correct? We are just social scene, and I will say that was a that was a joke. That was a joke. Sh- shockingly, <laughs> anthems is number five. Okay, well that helps my ego a little bit. <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, sweetest kill? No, that's not. That's in the top ten, though. Okay, this interview is over. What do you mean, sweetest <laughs> kill is not? What is the um, setlist FM? Yeah, I'll, I still have it open. Sweetest Kill is oh no, it's number twelve. What you know, I think that's F? a reason. It's because it's a recency thing. You know, so if is this not Kill came like, out twenty years ago? A, I think it would have. You know. All right, you got to help me out because this is not like. Um, all right, I'll give you a hint. They're all no, no. Hold on. Oh, okay. Spotify and Apple, the songs that get played. This is something totally different. This is different. This is the oh. oh, this is the most performed songs. Oh, okay. By you. Okay. By you guys. Okay. Okay, most performed. See, there you go. That shows you I don't play Swedish Girl Lounge. <laughs> okay. Um Cause? Yes, that is number two. Casey Accidental? Yep, that's number three. Okay, I got Anthem's Cause. Two more. You got four and one. Stars and Sons? That's number four. So it's all you forgot it. It's not. No, that can be a oh. little hint. Number one is something okay. else. Seven four. 
Yes, that's correct. <laughs> so according to Setlist FM, and this, of course, is not every show you've ever played because it depends upon people like us going in and logging them. But mm-hmm. according to Setlist FM, you have played 7-4 356 times. Wow. It's got to be a little more, but that's 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 a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fifth place, Anthems, you've played 290. I feel like that's low. No, we play it. I feel like we played a 290 in the last three years. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's yeah. interesting. Sorry, I didn't quite get the game right no, on the gate. Fine. So. I probably didn't explain it very well. It's fine. Uh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I like weird, like, data like that sometimes. So that's why I'm interested in that stuff. Um, and Anthems always interests me too, though, because I feel like it is the quintessential song for you guys it is the one Mm -hmm. that i think most people associate with broken social scene um and it's certainly what a lot of people associate with emily um yes i mean metric has been playing it on their tour recently i think yeah they did Um, last year they they played it it was really beautiful i think they i had a friend who just caught their old world underground show in new york which i was very jealous of um and they played it there um, oh, great i know i'm happy i'm happy about that even though i didn't get to see it um but yeah i'm always interested in that song because it is not only is it not a kevin drew song vocal no but it is also <laughs> much 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 slower than almost every broken social scene song and yet it is like the one that's had this really really lasting impact it always comes up i think that really has to do with emmy I think yeah. it has to do with just the, the delivery and the lyrics. Yeah. And then when, when you put Jessica Moss into the, into the mix as well. Now, Jessica Moss is an absolutely stunning uh, violinist out of Montreal who's played with so many bands and she has a wonderful solo career as we speak out there playing. She um, came in and just did her own thing yeah. and took that song with her violins to an extremely beautiful emotional love. So it was very female-driven. And uh, everyone else, Johnny Crossingham on the banjo, who played his grandfather's banjo, Brendan holding down the bass, Justin, Justin, excuse me, just really having a very simple drum line. And, you know, Jimmy Shaw coming in with the chords that sort of set the tone Mm -hmm. for the song. And then Charlie and I were just messing around with the vocals a bit. And it was part of that session where we were at Newfeld's place and, the memory feels free, even though we were trying to achieve something. But when that song went down, uh, it's more a story for Brendan. And honestly, it's a song that I host in my life. So when I tell these stories, but I think it was very, very much driven by Emily's. She, there's, I gotta get emotional talking about this, but <clears throat> how do I say this? She. I've known her since I was 14. Um, and she just had this impeccable beauty to her to just find words always mm-hmm. throughout her life. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've witnessed it sometimes to the detriment of, of just existing out there and how difficult it is to just be normal in this world. Um, she had an empathy that almost didn't fall into the category of empathy 
there was an intellectual, emotional way that I saw her see things and write about things. And a lot of that came from her, her mom and her dad. Um, and I think with anthems, and it's crazy because there's, there's this aspect of where I have to sit and listen to Brendan and M, where it's like back in the day, it seemed like they had come up with a little bit of the melody for it. But now mm-hmm. that we're older, I don't think that memory exists anymore. And maybe Brendan's, and then maybe Emily's like, no, you never, and Brendan's like, I did do that. You used to, <laughs> no, I know. So there's the unfortunate aspect of people uh, recreating their memory and you won't know who or what, because you have to listen to both sides. Yeah. But if I really get to the honest truth of it, I know that everyone did that together. And Emily um, did what she always does. And she observed something that was true about growing up at that time. And she mm-hmm. put it into lyrics. And there's very few lyricists like her out there. Yeah. Uh, to the expense of, of life sometimes. But I've always fiercely defended um, M because she really is on another spectrum with how she looks and sees the information and the emotion of what's coming in. Yeah. And uh, I always uh, have admired how she's put the observations of of living an actual true life into the struggle of that lyrically. Right. It's very quite brilliant when you hear all her solo records and all her I, metric records. I was going to say her first solo record is one of my like all-time favorite albums. It's a stunning it's a stunning I still stunning, listen to it frequently. Stunning it's, album. Yeah, it's it's a stunning album. Yeah. It is. And uh lyrically I just kind of think she's untouchable. Yeah. So to get back to your question of I think that song had that force behind it. It had this pure force of Haynes uh, before everything took off before right. as life happens and then you're chasing dreams and you know, what's enough, what's enough musicians were always like, what's enough, what's enough. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to constantly make things grow. But a lot of the times you do it at the, at the expense of yourself. And I've noticed obviously through Amy and Leslie and Emily and Lisa Lobsinger and Ariel Engel, and now we have our friend Jill Harris, and we were even on the road with Hannah George's. There was something back in the day that was very quite sexist about how, as men, we just were able to cruise in and cruise out of this life. And for right. women, and there was so much more weight being carried and getting on these buses and flights and tours and getting put in front of the cameras and interviews. And there was a very much a sexist aspect to it that I saw them struggle through and age through. Yeah. And, uh, I'm very proud of all of them. I'm very proud of all of them for how they're still doing it and carrying themselves. But yeah, yeah. Anthos for a 17 year ago, I really think it had an extremely feminine, uh, vibe to it that connected with all the feminine parts out there. Yeah. I think, I think that's spot on. I mean, it, it, it is such a simple lyric, but it's also such an observant and unique kind of lyric and just that sort of lovely moment in time that's been distilled in the song. I feel like that's why it's sort of, it's feels sort of immortal, the song. 
I think so. And I think yeah. sometimes in life, you don't know when you're going to write those. Yeah. And, and sometimes you spend your life trying to write it again. Mm. But uh, that's definitely one where I just say, I was just happy. I, I'm very happy to be around that song and be able to play it for people every night. Right. And as I say, I, I, you know, a lot of the times I'm hosting at, at Broken Social Scene, but I'm honored to do it. I really right. am. I'm honored to do it. There's a yeah. lot of great songs that um, I love playing on that I, you know, I didn't write. And I'm just so grateful they're in my life. Yeah. All right. Well, Kevin Drew, thank you very much. Oof. I know. God, you got me the after school special. Look at I you. Know. I don't do interviews after noon. <laughs> oh, well, I'll spread the word. I'll spread the word. Once the um, coffee wears I'm... off, I'm like, leave me alone. <laughs> well, thank you then for soldiering through. And no, uh, this was lovely. Thank you. I appreciate with me it. For a while. I really appreciate uh, getting to talk to you, especially, I mean, maybe not especially, but it's fun for me too, because I've also interviewed Emily and I've interviewed Charlie and I've interviewed Torque. So it feels like I've oh. gotten like, you got little, a taste. Little little pieces of the Canadian musical landscape. I've interviewed. Why didn't you Krug, tell me like, that? Oh, I'm telling you now. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept being like, I gotta get, I gotta get Kevin. Hopefully he'll have something coming up soon. And then you did. And then you said yes. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's all right. I actually said to uh Liz, who's on the phone, Oriole here with Jen Capel, who I've been with since 2007, and this publicity firm, they've just started in the last couple of years last few years i said look i'll do whatever you ask me to do which <laughs> i have definitely not said that before but i said look if you think i should do it i'll do it so it's very much kudos to them that I, i'm here because uh i usually just say I, i'll do a few things and that's it but this time around i thought you know what if people want to talk i'm here to talk all right, so Kevin Drew, new solo album, Aging, is out November 3rd. It will probably be out because it's like three days from now. It'll probably be out by the time this is out. So if you're listening to this, please go listen to Aging. Thank you, Kevin Drew. Thank you very much. Hey, I, I love being here with you, and uh, good luck with those students of yours. <laughs> Thank you. All right, take care. Okay, bye, Jeremy. Thanks so much, my friend. <laughs> <laughs>